Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, Reflection, a Study of Philippians. If you missed any part of this series, you can find it and others online at sheridanhouse.org backslash WBS. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. Well, welcome. Good morning. I have to like... Take a deep breath when I come on Wednesday morning because you all have like this energy and excitement that like spills forth. I can understand why Pam has to bring her whistle on Wednesday mornings and not on Tuesday nights, but that's, that's okay because there is some serious joy and love going on in this room. And so it's so nice to be here. My name is Heather Legere. I see a lot of new faces, which is so exciting. Um, I get the blessing from Rosemary when she is out of town to be able, a few, along with a few other ladies, to, um, to share. And so I'm just really excited to be here. Rosemary is um, away and preparing some more lessons. And as always, she sends her love and that she misses you guys and she'll see you very soon. Um, but I will show you a little bit about me for those that don't actually um, know me so well. I brought a few pictures. Um, also, shameless plug for Sheridan House Goliath Gauntlet. You should totally go to it. Um, if you don't want to run it, please just come and watch everybody because it is so very entertaining and you will have a lot of fun. But uh, these are my people, as I like to call them. Um, we have my 14, 12, 10, and 3. Um, <laughs> I'll let you draw those conclusions there. And, um, the, and this is actually a really good perspective of his personality. Um, he's a little spicy at times. Um, so he is happiest when he's outside playing in the dirt. And he was extra spicy this morning, uh, that, that morning, I should say. And so I sent him outside to play. Um, and I'm drinking my coffee, watching him through the window as he's literally just digging in the dirt. And, um, and then it started to rain. And he kind of looked at me like, you're not making me come inside, right? And I was like, nope, nope, I'm not. So you just stay there. But of course, he was too cute to not take a picture of. Um, so there's that. He's got a lot of personality. Shout out to Miss Beth in the back here who, um, bless her has allowed me to actually go to church. So, because he spent about three years screaming every time I would drop him off at church to the point I was like, no. And now he has made, I think he might have a little crush on Miss Beth and Miss Ruth because, and Miss Beth and Miss Ruth, because, uh, you know, you can't do the, the T-H is an F. So the other day, actually, he got dressed and he says, Mama, we need to go. Like, this is the first time. Usually he tells me by Sunday morning why he does not want to go to church and how much he's going to miss me. And I just don't want you to weave me and all of this. And then a couple weeks ago, he, like, all of a sudden he gets dressed and he comes out and he goes, Mama, do I look nice? I was like, yes, you look so nice. And he had these, like, little shoes, that, like, little loafer things, and he puts them on and he goes, do you think Miss Beth will like my shoes? And I was like... <laughs> I think so. I think she will. So, um, just saying, to all of you who work in children's ministry, this mama thanks you very, very much because um, I get to go have myself a little worship, and he is happy as can be. So, um, these are my people, and they do bring me great joy and great happiness, and that is something that we are going to dig in and study and look at here. Um, and I don't know about you, but 
I opened up my homework this week. I'm going to actually want to read the actual question it says. And I opened it up, and I was like, all right, let's go. Let's study our homework. And I was ready, and, uh, and it was, you know, we read Philippians 1, 12 through 18, and it says, what are the things that bring you joy, pleasure, contentment, fulfillment, and satisfaction? I was like, oh, okay, well, like my family and all these things. I'm just like jotting things down, and, you know, there's a lot of things that I think bring us joy. And then I, of course, flipped open to the actual scripture, because that's what we're supposed to do. And it says, you know, I want you to know the things that have happened to me, you know, I've turned out, I'll paraphrase, you know, guards and chains and fear and strife and envy. And I thought, maybe, maybe Rosemary meant to direct us to a different section of scripture. Because I don't, I don't see happiness or joy or satisfaction anywhere in these words. And so I sat there and I looked at it and I thought, okay, Lord, what is, there's more to this, I'm sure. So, so what is it that you want us to see? What is it that you are wanting us to dig into? You know, because I think when we first think what brings us joy and happiness, it's, it's pictures like these. It's a promotion. It's our family. It's a prayer request getting answered. It's health or a, a prodigal coming home. There's a lot of things that I think when we say that will stir in our heart what brings us joy. You know, but when we look at this, the words joy and happiness are, are literally not even words in this section of scripture. So, so what is it? Because when we study Philippians, when we look at it deeper, I mean, Philippians is known as the joy epistle. It is my favorite commentary. I brought it. It says, I mean, the title of the commentary is Be Joyful. But when you read this, I mean, Paul wrote this entire book of the Bible from prison but yet it is known as our blueprint on how to find joy and how to be happy. And you think, well, okay, so it's got to be more than the surface, right? It's something deep. It's something in here. It's something in our relationship with God and what he does in us. So when we think about true happiness, we have to look on and say, okay, so we know that there's a little bit more to it. So let's, let's see. What is it that in here that Paul is saying to us? And it's this unspoken part. You know, the Philippian church was very worried about him. And so he writes this letter, and we, we've studied in the last few weeks. He spends the first 11 verses, you know, talking about them. Thank you. I praise God for you. I'm so thankful for you. He's encouraging them because this is his heart to encourage them. But he knows they're concerned. So he starts off addressing some things that are happening in his life. And so uh, we see in verse 12, originally he says, um, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Um, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. If you notice that word advance in there, some of your versions might say furtherance. And I think this is so interesting because when you look at the original way that this word is, it actually means a pioneer advance. Okay, I'm not talking like pioneers covered wagons going across the country. And this time, it's a Greek military term for the engineers that would go before an army. So, you know, it, I mean... Greek times and the Roman times, we're, we're looking at, they're crossing terrain, there's no paved roads, there's no um, turnpike to get us where we need to go in the express lane fast. They are trudging along across 
rugged land across rivers, across mountains. And so to get their army where they need to go first, they send the smart guys, they send the engineers to figure out how to get them there safely. If there's a waterway that needs to get crossed, how do we get them across? It's the ones that are paving the way. So what he's saying here is that what's happened to him has really served when he says to advance the gospel, saying to pave the way for the gospel, to make a clear, open path. So he's looking on at all the things that have happened to him, and he's saying what's happening to me is making a way for everything else. And I think it's interesting because it's not talking about like the soldiers in the army. He's talking about those that have gone out and that are just making it possible for the advancement to come. And the gripping truth here is that Paul is really and truly rejoicing in his circumstances. He is rejoicing in everything that is happening um, to him. He's not looking at just this. And so what are his circumstances. Well, first, letter A on your outline, he is uh, he's suffering. There are sufferings that are happening. I mean, we read it. He's talking about, um, number one, he is in chains. There's, there's no way around this. He is um, chained to guards. You know, if you wanted to go back and read in Acts 21, uh, chapters 21 through 28, we'll give the account of actually Paul's uh, arrest and what has been going on in his life. And we know he was falsely arrested, but because he's a Roman, he had the opportunity to appeal to Caesar. And so he's taken to Caesar on a ship, shipwrecked three months, and then found and still on his way back to, to Caesar and to Rome. Paul's okay with that because that's what the plan was. He knew that this was the plan. You read it in other sections of scripture. He says, I wanted to take the word, the gospel to Rome. So he was not upset about what was going on, but he's honest about it. This is what's happening. There are chains. And number two, his future was uncertain. Obviously, he's on trial. So he knows he is making an appeal, but there is a very good chance, as we know, that ends up he loses his life in this, for the sake of the gospel. But Paul, I really and truly believe, at his core, and at the center of who he was, was okay. He knew there was this quiet, bold, strong confidence within him that he knew because, write this down, it's not in your outline, but because of his kingdom mindset, his mind, his eyes were always, always fixed on the kingdom of God. What was going to serve to advance the gospel further? Um, and there's a quote in your eyes or in your outline that, from, um, that says, still in prison, still chained, still unheard, still uncertain, he looks back and answers, what happened to me has served to advance the gospel. This is his fundamental goal, his fundamental purpose. Number one, or I'm sorry, letter B, his perspective is that. The advance of the gospel, his mindset is on the kingdom. Number one, he is in chains because of Christ. He's in chains because of Christ. And he means this in two ways. Number one, he literally is in chains because of Christ. He was arrested because he was preaching the word. Um, and I think that that in and of itself is just something that we have to stop and, and awe at because we are talking about Paul, who was formerly Saul, who had this amazing conversion story because he was known as being one of the most fierce persecutors of the Christians. He was the one leading the arrests. He was the one leading the stonings. And then God literally grabbed a hold of him 
and changed his world. And so that in and of itself, the fact that he is in chains because of what he used to persecute, I mean, that should just make us stop and wonder at the like marvel of God's majesty and power. But I think it's also amazing, I learned this weekend, that Paul's conversion story is recorded 13 different times in the Bible. That is given, that's more than any other story in the Bible except for the work of Jesus himself. So there is so much about Paul that we are supposed to learn. If it is put in the scriptures this much, we need to pay attention. We need to look and say, what is it? And I think, I, I, in my personal opinion, I think there's two things. I think first... Nobody is too far. There is nobody that we are praying for. There's no nasty neighbor or um, family member that thinks that we're crazy or a coworker who mocks us. There is nobody that is too far for God. So we cannot lose heart. We cannot stop praying. We cannot give up hope. Because if somebody like Paul can end up in chains because he so believed and Paul didn't get the opportunity to walk with Jesus like the disciples did. Paul, this is because of what he has seen and heard and the way God came and interacted in his life. But he didn't have the years of walking like the disciples. So his story, his belief is from a very, very real deep place in his life where he knows that he knows that this God that he serves is true and that the change in his world is, is um, unimaginable. Um, so he is in, where do we go? Okay, number two. Sorry, I got distracted. He is in chains for Christ. So he's in chains because of Christ, and he is in chains for Christ. So he is in chains because of the word that he is preaching. But he says in verse 13, it has become known. It has become known or clear to all what is going on. So who is he talking about here? Well, obviously he's in prison. He's chained to guards. And he's not chained to any guards. He is chained to like the most elite guards that he could possibly be chained to because he's going to see Caesar. And so he is under a very tight, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't even know. Thank you. That's that. Um, so he's just, he is under a very, um, confined way of life. And so, but you have to think about it. He also has probably a few different guards that he is interacting with throughout each day. I would assume, I think some scholars say, the guard shift probably changes every six hours. So he gets four different guards a day. Um, so you have to think that these big, strong, burly Roman soldiers that are like the elite of the elite, you know, the gladiators, they are like, can you just see when they're getting their shifts and the commander's like, oh, you're on second shift with Paul. And he's probably like, no, not that. Don't put me with Paul. He's going to pray for me the whole time. You know, like, are you kidding? I mean, maybe they're like bartering and trying to trade. Like, listen, I'll do your extra long shift somewhere else if you'll take Paul an extra shift, you know? Like, but he says in here, it becomes known to all, like, because he's just who he is. He's just loving and being consistent, and being who he is, and what was happening to him, he wasn't surprised by. I don't think he was, he wasn't angry, he wasn't fighting things, he just, he knew his purpose. Again, he had that kingdom mindset, because he knew that God uses all things for good, right? He uses all things for good, and he, in this, he reminds letter A, his friends of his purpose. 
He reminds them of his purpose. At first glance, he, you know, obviously things don't seem very good. But back to that all things. You know what's interesting? So Paul obviously wrote Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul wrote Romans 8, 28 before he was in jail in Philippi. So he wrote this beforehand knowing God putting this spirit into him he was going to need to understand this in a deep place. And don't we all, I, I think there's lots of times that we can have that where we can say, God was starting to work something in me, and then I ended up seeing what it was for. You know, like, oh, God, I heard this worship song, or I kept hearing these teachings, or my devotions were this way. And then all of a sudden, the situation happens, and you're like, oh, God was prepping my heart. I think this is what's happening here. God prepped Paul's heart through Romans 8.28. So that he knew when he got to being chained to guards 24 hours a day, all things were going to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. I had this great opportunity. We're going to watch a quick little video a few weeks ago of getting to um, hear the sweet girl, well, she's my age, um, speak. And actually, we went to college together. We had some mutual um, friends. She was a year younger than me. And I didn't really know what much that happened to her after we graduated, um, but then Randomly, I got added to a bunch of Facebook prayer groups because she had had a medical situation occur. Um, and I would just get these updates. And then years later go by, I get to hear her speak at a conference. And I was absolutely blown away by some of the things she said. So I just want you to hear from her. I imagine most of us have fairly straightforward pictures in our heads about what our lives will look like and who we will become. When something happens that is not inside the four corners of that picture, we view it as a detour and hope to get back on track as quickly as possible. So what happens when you take a detour and can't ever get back to the original picture? My detour was a massive brainstem stroke that almost took my life. I had a six-month-old baby, and my husband was weeks away from finishing law school. Obviously, I lived. However, I've had 11 surgeries, and I can't do so many things I used to. And there is a profound sense of loss that lingers. But I've learned above all other lessons to discover a hope that heals the most broken places, our souls. Perhaps some detours aren't detours at all. Perhaps they are actually the path, the picture, and perhaps they can be perfect. So her name is Catherine Wolf, and this is her, um, her book, Hope Heals. But what I think is so amazing and what struck me so much is when she stood up at the conference, she stood out of her wheelchair, and she said, that phrase that you heard her say here is that sometimes the detour isn't a detour, but it is the path. It is her kingdom mindset. It was she goes around and talking about this deep 
overwhelming hope that healed her from a place of great despair, of profound loss, but to look on and say, it wasn't a detour at all. This is the path that God has placed before me. I will embrace it. I will walk in it. I think this is what Paul is trying to convey to his friends here, that the purpose of this is for the furtherance of the kingdom. It is to advance the gospel. And letter B, he reminds his friends of what truly matters. What truly matters is he's saying, don't worry. Don't worry about me. God is going to use all of this for the gospel. God is going to use it for his plan and his purpose. The gospel has not been hindered by what's going on, but is being used in new and different ways that probably would never have been able to be used before. Um, Warren Wearsby has a quote, says, The same God who uses Moses' rod, Gideon's pitcher, and David's sling used Paul's chains. Little did the Romans realize that the chains they affixed to his wrists would release Paul rather than bind him. And I love that. They intended to hinder him, but what man and Satan will intend for harm, God will always use for good. God will always, when we give it to him, as Paul did, said, use me for more. You can do that. And then amazing things happen. Number three, he's in chains for others to become more bold. He's in chains for others to become more bold. And I think that this is interesting. There's a couple ways we can, we can look at this. Perhaps they were challenged by his example. They're saying, well, he's in prison, and so um, that's helped the gospel. So I should be more bold. I can do it. If Paul can do it, I can do it. But we could also look at it the other way and say, people could have been afraid. They could have looked on and said, uh, I, don't, I don't really want to end up chained to a guard 24 hours a day, so I'm, I'm probably not going to do that. But that's not what happened. The people looked on because I think they made the choice to say, I can do it because God through me can do amazing and mighty things. You know, and in this, in verse 14, it says, the word where it says speak, it doesn't mean preach. It means everyday conversation. That word there in the original context is everyday conversation. That is not just, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. I'm not going to go stand on the corner of the street and, and you know, proclaim things. No, this is just everyday conversation. This is back to the neighbors, to the coworkers, to the lost family members. This is just being bold in our everyday and the things that we do because God just spills forth and spills out of us. Paul's joyful attitude, it emboldened the other believers. God can use amazing things even when we don't, um, we don't see the purpose and we don't see the plan for why. Um, he points always people back to what God can do next. And I was... Um, I don't know, at some point, my husband and I were, were, you know, scanning through probably Netflix and looking for some movies, and we always loved the, like, old, we were watching, like, Ben-Hur and other things like that, and we came across a story, not Chariots of Fire, I'm sure we all are familiar with Chariots of Fire and Eric Liddell, but the story after there was a movie made, and we didn't, had never seen it, my husband absolutely adores um, the story of Eric Liddell, so 
we watched it and it was absolutely fascinating. I had no idea, maybe you guys all know, that he ended up in a Japanese prison camp when he was a missionary. Um, you know, and I just think, oh, he's this amazing story because he won this gold medal when he stood up for his faith and all these things and yeah, rah, rah. But no, that's, I mean, he lived his entire life this way. So I found an article, I wanna read you a couple little snippets. It's actually written by Randy Alcorn, who I'm sure we've, we've heard of. So he talks about um, a, a interesting story. I'll just read it to you. So it says, after the Olympics and his graduation, Eric returned as a missionary to China where he had been born to missionary parents. When the Japanese occupation made life dangerous, he sent his pregnant wife and their two daughters to Canada. Japanese invaders placed him in a prison camp without running water or working bathrooms, and there, separated from his family, Eric lived for several more years before dying at the age of 43. On the surface, it all seems so tragic. Why did God withhold from this great man of faith a long life, years of fruitful service, the companionship of his wife, and the joy of raising his beloved children? It would make no sense. And yet, there is another way to look at Eric Liddell's story. Um, Randy and his wife, Nancy, discovered this firsthand when they spent an unforgettable day in England with Phil and Margaret Holder. This was in May of 1988. We knew almost nothing about the Holders except that Phil was a pastor and some missionary friends we were visiting in England took us to their home in Reading. Margaret was born in China to missionary pa parents with the China Inland Mission. Um, in 1939, when Japan took control of Eastern China, 13-year-old Margaret was imprisoned by the Japanese in an internment camp where many foreigners were sent to. There she remained separated from her parents for six years, but she told fond stories of a man she called Uncle Eric. Margaret shared with us the story that illustrated the man's Christ-like character. In camp, the children played basketball and hockey, and Eric Liddell was their referee. Not surprisingly, he refused to referee on Sundays. But in his absence, the children would fight. Liddell struggled over this. He believed the children shouldn't stop playing because they needed the diversion. Finally, he decided to referee on a Sunday. This made a deep impression on Margaret. She saw that the athlete, world famous for sacrificing success for principle, was not a legalist. When it came to his own glory, Liddell would surrender it all rather than run on a Sunday. But when it came to the good of the children in the prison camp, he would referee on Sunday. And it goes on to tell a few other stories of other children that he interacted with while he was in, mind you, he's separated from his own children. But here he is ministering to these children that are separated from their parents in this camp. So she, uh, uh, Margaret tells the story through fresh tears that unforgettable day in their living room, Margaret Holder told us, it was a cold February day when Uncle Eric died. No one in the world mourned like those in that camp. When five months later, the children were rescued by American paratroopers and reunited with their families, many of their stories were about Uncle Eric. His imprisonment broke the hearts of his family, but for years, nearly to the war's end, God used him as a lifeline to hundreds of children, including Margaret. So the perspective could be an apparent tragedy, but his presence in that camp makes more sense now, doesn't it? I'm convinced that Liddell and his family would tell us, and one day will tell us, that the suffering of the time are not worthy to be compared with the glory they know now and will forever know, a glory far greater than the suffering which it achieved. And then there's another little quote from another um, pastor who was also a child at the camp. He says, um, Uncle Eric or Eric Liddell would say, when you speak of me, give the glory to my master, Jesus Christ. 
he would not want us to think of him, meaning Eric. He would want us to see the Christ whom he served. And I read a story like that. Again, we think chains. We think what binds us, what keeps us. We see Catherine's story and we think these could be chains, this um, disability that she now has. But what we look on from what everyone is saying, what Paul says, what Catherine says, what the story of Eric says, is that these things didn't keep them hindered. They served to advance. They allowed them to prosper, to bloom, to grow. My mom always had this like quote in my room that says, bloom where you are planted, you know? And I think that that is what these people have done. They looked on and said, I will bloom for Christ where I am planted. So I don't want to share all of these stories and have you leave and think, oh, that was really heavy and Heather's a lot and I don't want to listen to her. I want you to leave and think there is an incredible power when we offer the Lord all that we have, no matter what it is, and the good and the bad and the beautiful days and the not so beautiful days. There is an amazing, amazing power that God will work in and through us when we keep that kingdom mindset. But this is not just his change are not all that Paul encountered. Paul also encountered, let her see, some critics. And I know we could read this and we would think, absolutely, why would anybody be critical of Paul? I mean, look at all that he's going through. But it says here in Philippians 1, 15 through 18, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So number one, what was their purpose? Well, some of them were motivated by love and some of them by selfishness. And it's hard to believe, really, that anybody would oppose Paul, but we're, they, they did. And I th we have to make note that they we're talking about other believers, right? And so I think that this is probably a hard place, maybe a lot of conversations happening. Like, I don't understand. How could anybody, especially another believer, oppose what Paul is doing? Um, but the churches were divided. Some were using their gospel for their own selfish desires, and some um, were using it in the purest of motives. You know, it could be anything. It could have been like a, a legalistic group that did not like that Paul had been preaching to the Gentiles. It could have been um, somebody that knew Paul and wanted to kind of use an association. We don't actually know exactly who these people are, other than it is clear that they are believers, and they had some sort of personal thing that was going on. But what was Paul's response? Number two, what was his response? Well, clearly what mattered to him most, he says, was that the gospel was being preached. I, uh, I like to, you know, read some of the scripture in different uh, versions, and I read one, and it says this. This is how it, it phrases it. So how am I to respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed, bad, or indifferent, Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed, so I just cheer them on. I love this. He just decided. Paul's like, oh, I decided. I don't really care. Because at the heart of it, what is going out is a message is, is being said that despite everything, and despite the circumstances or the personality differences, um, the motives are God's business, not ours, Right? We can look on and say, well, we don't like that. And, and let's be honest, nothing's, nothing's new, right? This is written thousands of years ago, and we s 
struggle with this still today. There's still differences in churches and personalities and pastor styles, and we can look on and say, well, how could you listen to that one pastor? All he does is tell you to send money, or how could you listen to this one, or how you go to that church, because I don't like the way that they do, you know, their offering, or they don't do an offering, or they have fuzzy lights, and I don't like the fuzzy lights, you know? Like, I mean, there's a thousand different things that we can get all twisted up about, but the bottom line is, we're talking about believers, and if the word of God is being preached, there's a lot of different flavors of ice cream, ladies. I like chocolate. Some of you might like vanilla. Or somebody might like pistachio. I don't really understand why, but the point <laughs> is, there's a lot of different flavors. It's all ice cream, okay? So there's a lot of different ways that we can look at doing church, but if, and this is where we have to be discerning, if the core of it is that the word of God, that Christ died, rose again on the third day so that we would be saved from our sins. If that is what they are saying, let's look at what Paul said. I don't care. Every time they open their mouth, Christ is being proclaimed. So let them enjoy that. Let them, let them be. God will judge the motives. God will look at all of that and he will discern it. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart to discern to pierce through the joints and marrow is the the innermost pieces so if the word of god is like this if the word of god can decide and decipher between all of these things i think it's okay for us to just say let them worship how they worship let them do. Let's be careful to not expend our energy on things that we cannot change and possibly that we could even bring others down. We certainly don't want to discourage somebody from being fed the word. And as they grow and mature, if there is something that maybe is not right in some parts or something that they're hearing, we need to pray that the spirit would do what the spirit will do, which will inspire and give them discernment. And that is such a lesson for us in our Christian community. Um, we have a group here that's called Amongst the Churches, and I'm, sh I'm assuming some of you have heard of it, and it's called Church United, and I think it's this amazing opportunity for local churches in the Tri-County area, and they all have come together, different denominations, different styles, all kinds of different ice cream flavors mixed in there, but what they're all saying is that our heart is not to be territorial is not to be prideful, is not to um, say this is mine and that is yours, but to say this area is ours. We want to change and affect this area and create a revival amongst the people. So let's go together. Let's. How can we do it together? How can we do outreaches together where our people will see that we are in this together because for the furtherance of the gospel and for the advancement of his kingdom. Even in such that I think there's upcoming, there's going to be amongst all the churches a similar sermon series that's even going to go out where they're going to be um, studying the same word of God. I mean, can you imagine hundreds of churches in the Tri-County area all looking at the same scriptures at the same time, and then we're all going to talk to our neighbors or our coworkers or our family? I mean, that's a lot of people hearing the same word of God. Praise the Lord that that could happen because people have come together and said, it's not about the little things. It is about Jesus and what he does for us. So we have to have to come back to focus on him, focus on God, trust him, Keep a heaven mindset. When we choose to do that, 
We will influence the people around us just in the same way that Paul chose. Remember that our joy and happiness does not need to be based on the culture or on the difficulties or on the things that we look at in this world, but it should be focused on what the things that God is doing in the future. There's a great, great quote at the end of your book. It says, or the end of the page says, Paul's example is impressive and clear. Put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspirations. Our own comfort, our bruised feelings, our reputations, our misunderstood motives, all of these are insignificant in comparison with the advance and the splendor of the gospel. As Christians, we are called to put the advance of the gospel at the very center of our aspirations. So that is my prayer for us as we go out from her here, that our center of who we are, our mindset, our focus is solely on the advance of the gospel. And can you imagine the heaven stories that we will get to share in when we all look at things a little bit more like Paul, where we don't see the chains as binding, but we see them as freeing. We see them as giving us a new opportunity. Amen? Amen.